This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I am Buzz Eisenberg. And one of the matters that we have been discussing on the show and among ourselves that is of great concern to us is the expenditure, or more to the point, the non-expenditure of money that has been and remains available to address the opioid crisis here in our region. There is a settlement, there has been a settlement that involves payment over 15 years that began last year uh, that we can review and we will review in just a moment uh, that makes available large sums of money to municipalities throughout western Massachusetts and the state uh, that has not been spent. We have an opioid crisis and there's money to address the opioid crisis and it is not being spent. This was a uh, expose in the Boston Globe on Sunday, and we are so pleased to have with us today District Attorney Dave Sullivan, the District Attorney for the Northwestern District, that's Franklin and Hampshire counties, uh, and he is head of the Opioid Task Force for the District Attorneys Association. We are lucky to have the DA with us. I would appreciate it, David Sullivan, and we welcome you back to the show. If you could tell us what your reaction was to the Boston Globe piece and, well, how this crisis is or is not being addressed properly and whether these funds are or are not being utilized in an appropriate manner. Talk to us, please, District Attorney. Sure. Sure. Uh, good morning, Bill. Good morning, Buzz. Uh, I just want to start with, um, I'm the co-chair of the Opiate Task Force of Franklin County and North Quab, and not the District Attorneys. We don't have a Opiate Task Force. But I just want to start with, there's a combination of outrage that there's no sense of urgency. There is an urgency to spending these funds in the appropriate way. And that's the first feeling. The second is that before they could use this money, they had to do planning. In other words, they, they just didn't give them the money that it was uh, required that these municipalities have a game plan. Because, of course, you've got 15 years of giving out the, these funds, uh, but the larger municipalities, such as Boston, Worcester, Springfield, the ones that are getting substantial amounts of money should have been what they would call locked and loaded. They should have been ready to roll uh, within you know months of, of these funds being suspended. So I don't think there's any excuse from these larger municipalities. Now, in our region, uh, you know, our opioid... Could, could we stop there for one second, uh, District Attorney Dave Sullivan, and note that in our region, Springfield has over a million and a half dollars sitting in a bank account designated to be used to address the opioid and fentanyl crisis, and it's just sitting there. Should have been used immediately for some project. In other words, I understand there may be a long-term project, in other words, maybe for a treatment facility or something larger, but the immediate... Uh, task is to save lives. I mean, you know, let's face it, this opiate task force, this, uh, these funds that have come from settlements, in other words, from, you know, Purdue Pharmaceutical and many distributors that we don't even know, uh, Cardinal, there's a whole bunch of folks that have been required to, to pay into this fund. It's no comfort to the people that lost their loved ones. This is this is, but hopefully it's going to save lives, and that's the only purpose behind these funds at this point in time. And you're not going to save lives by holding on to it and being a miser with the money. 
So I really appreciate the Globe for doing the research and saying, hey, what's going on here? So, so let, let me ask you this, uh, District Attorney David Sullivan, because uh, you've been very involved for a number of years with the opioid crisis. And, yes, we think about deaths because it's so spectacularly horrific when we hear about a death, quite often a young person, as a result of ingesting uh, opioids. But uh, these overdoses that happen repeatedly and, and just turn people's lives inside out. And, and be, the reason for the settlement is we found out that not only the pharmaceuticals, as you mentioned, Johnson & Johnson, Purdue, that actually made it, but the distributors knew that what they were doing is inducing doctors to overprescribe opioids so that there were more on the street so that they could make more profit. That's why these, well, in Massachusetts' case, at least $26.5 billion in settlements, uh, plus another, well, a lot of money that was funneled out from municipalities. But in your work, I know, and, and Sheriff Donnellan, Sheriff Caitlin, it, it, every local official has been involved in trying to vindicate the opioid crisis and dampen its harsh effects, has wondered, do we support nonprofits, like, for example, Tapestry Health, that has a harm reduction uh, process, or the local hospital efforts, or do we create new entities. And I think part of the discussion in the Globe article and subsequent articles is about, well, what's the best way to funnel it into the streets? So my question for you is, from your perch as a co-chair of the Regional Opioid Task Force, what's the best way to attack this crisis of too many drugs, fentanyl and otherwise, too many overdoses, and too many deaths? What's the best way to attack it? Well, I think there's many ways to attack it. In other words, the immediate the immediate is to make sure Narcan is available uh, to every family in Massachusetts that has any type of risk, uh, and to the people, individuals. So Tapestry does wonderful work because they are at the front lines of harm reduction. So if you look at how to expend this money, if I was a municipality and I was in Springfield, I would say to Tapestry, who has a presence in Western Mass., Hey, what, what can we do to work with you? Why create a whole new entity when there's one right there in your backyard? Um, and, and I don't know what these municipalities are going to do with it. For, from our point of view, um, we want people to do both the short term but also the long term. Uh, are, is this money going to be used for treatment? Is this money going to be used for um, housing, for example? You know, many people, they're one of the biggest crises for people that have an addiction, is housing. So if they were going to say, hey, out of this million dollars, we're putting one hundred and fifty or $200,000 or $500,000 toward some type of affordable housing plan, that might be a, a good use of the money because, unfortunately, when people uh, have that stigma of addiction, many times it's very hard for them to get housing. It just isn't any sober housing in, uh, in Massachusetts um, to the degree that we need it. Um, it's just it, 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 you look at how tough it is for housing for folks that don't have an addiction, you know, for your your college kid who's graduating from a Boston law school or from or somebody that um, has a, a blue collar job. How hard it is to get a job. Add in that stigma of addiction. It makes it even tougher. So, you know, I think that um, people do need a game plan. And I think that was required. But you don't have to wait forever. I mean, you know, what are they going to wait five years for even more people to die in Springfield and other municipalities? It's absolutely ridiculous. 
District Attorney Dave Sullivan, I'd, I'd be interested in taking a bit of a deeper dive into this from your perspective as the chief law enforcement officer for Hampshire and Franklin counties. And it's the question I have is this. There has been a growing realization, uh, n- not among the helping professions, but certainly among law enforcement, that addiction, that substance abuse, uh, that substance uh, dependence uh, is, is not primarily or even significantly a, a law enforcement issue nearly as much. It's a medical problem. This is something that needs to be addressed somewhere else other than in courts and jails, which is where for decades we've dumped the problem and warehoused the people. And I'm wondering in response to these globe, this globe revelation that whether your fellow district attorneys have said, wait, look at all the people we wouldn't have to prosecute if there weren't all these drugs and they could be, well, how about this? Helped get out of the system, save money, save lives. Is there been that kind of reaction or am I living in a fantasy land of how I wish people would react? Uh, unfortunately, I, I believe that there's uh, several of the district attorneys that don't adopt the public health model, and that's unfortunate. Uh, I think it's very important for people to understand that when somebody's addicted to a substance, whether it's heroin, fentanyl, you know, meth, um, it's no longer uh, it's, it's not a criminal justice issue at that point. It's it's a health issue. And that's the way we have to approach it. And, and that's why we have a drug diversion and treatment option for anybody who uh, has uh, an addiction, that that's an option for them. Obviously, they can litigate it uh, because it is a criminal offense to possess these drugs. But the real way to help people is to get them out of the system. It's, you know, we don't want a punitive model for people with addiction. And, and that is very, very strong down in the southern part of the United States where, you know, people are sentenced to a year or two years or three years. Um, for the majority of the district attorneys in Massachusetts, I believe that they, they have a more compassionate model, uh, you know, that the possession charge doesn't result in jail but probation or something else. But, again, I don't even believe that probation is the best way to handle this type of thing. It's getting Get them out of the system. Get them the help they need through, uh, through tapestry uh, and their models of harm reduction. And uh, when you can get a treatment facility to do it that way. But most addictions these days is handled outpatient, which is a very, very good way of doing things. And medically assisted treatment, you know, whether it's uh, Suboxone or uh, some methadone, that's the, the best way for many of these people to get the, the help they need without going to jail while still being productive members of our community. Well, let me ask you this. And I think that many people would, would want to know the answer to this question. Is there a uniform way of handling drug possession cases in Hampshire County and in Franklin County? Let me, get, let me give you a hypothetical. A police officer comes across a person who's having an overdose, uh, and they have on them some heroin. Uh, they have Narcan on them because it's a progressive community like Northampton. They, they administer the Narcan. Do they then take the person for medical help? Or do they take the person to jail and charge him? What happens? Well, if they're overdosed, they, they'd call the uh, EMTs, and the EMTs would come and uh, you know revive them, uh, say Narcan, bring them to the hospital. And uh, I know Franklin County has a whole uh, program.
program now for helping these people get treatment. The way that our office would approach it would be, um, you know, say he, the, the police officer had that option of, of charging uh, that person with possession. Um, when we got that case, hopefully before it even got to court, we'd give that option to that uh, that individual or if he or she had an attorney, that attorney, uh, that we'll just divert it. We'll, we'll give that diversion option to make sure that they don't get into the criminal justice system. So your, your question is, is it uniform? No, uh, because each case is unique. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I'd say 98% of the time, somebody's given that option of a non-criminal diversion. Uh, I don't know if it's fair to ask you this or not, but let me, let, me take a, let me take a go at it. Is there a difference between how municipalities in Franklin and Hampshire County uh, would handle that situation? Is Northampton different from Amherst, different from Hadley or South Hadley or Greenfield or Waitley? Anything you can tell us about that? Or is it simply idiosyncratic based on the officer and the department? Most of my uh, municipalities uh, are very sensible, very compassionate when it comes to that. So say somebody overdosed in, in Asheville and they were brought to the hospital, a small amount of heroin was found. Um, I would say the majority of municipalities probably wouldn't charge that individual unless it was a sizable amount. But say that, so it, there's no, I mean, I got 40, 47 municipalities that are in my jurisdiction, so I can't say anything with, with a blanket, you know, certainly. But I think most folks um, would want to make sure that that individual got first the, the, the immediate treatment, but also the long-term treatment. So, you know, I have some very good chiefs in the jurisdiction, and whether they represent, you know, whether they're in Northampton, Amherst, or Shrewsbury, or these smaller communities, we have a pretty sensible group of law enforcement officials that don't want these folks, you know, part of their criminal justice system. We are speaking with the district attorney for the Northwestern District, David Sullivan. Northwestern District is Franklin and Hampshire County. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We continue our conversation with David Sullivan, who is the district attorney for the Northwestern District. That's Franklin and Hampshire Counties. While we were off air, Buzz raised with David Sullivan a really important case, not happening here, but of nationwide implications that involves a district attorney. Would you care to share a few of those background facts with us, Buzz, and then we'll get the district attorney's reaction? I would love to because I, frankly, am confused exactly. We don't know quite enough about what the allegations are, but Fannie Willis District Attorney of Franklin County, who is prosecuting... No, 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 no. Fulton County. There's a difference. What did I say? I thought you said... Fra- did you? Did I say Franklin? I thought you did. Fulton County. <laughs> I get Georgia. Georgia. I have, I have lived in both of those counties. <laughs> Fulton County, Georgia. And she is... Uh, she has been... Uh, she, obviously, she oversaw the charging of uh, almost two dozen people in the Trump orbit um, for election interference in Georgia. Um, four of them, I believe, have been already pled guilty, uh, some influential ones as well. Um, it has been claimed that her relationship with special prosecutor who she appointed, Nathan Wade, who was involved in a divorce, and as a result of that divorce, we all learned that she 
Fannie Willis, the district attorney of Fulton County, and Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor, had vacation together. As far as we know, there's no allegation of corruption. That is the use of public money to support any Although, although there's, there's been some accusations along the line. There's insinuations. And yeah, and he's getting paid a lot of money to be the special prosecutor. So There you go. So there, there's this ethical question and whether or not that, that misconduct should result in claims of defendant. The uh, the uh, the dismissal of the claims against them because of that uh, that relationship. So we have a district attorney live and in color on the radio. I'd like to ask you, District Attorney David Sullivan, in terms of the ethics of your profession, of your station as an elected district attorney, uh, how do you analyze these allegations and and uh, uh, what impact it should have on our prosecutions? It's completely inappropriate for a subordinate to have an intimate relationship uh, with their boss. So let's start with that. Um, under the rules of ethics, I don't believe that it is appropriate. Um, and the question is, is, what should happen to the case in chief? Uh, and I believe that uh, uh, he should be removed as a special prosecutor uh, and a new one appointed. And as much as people are disappointed, they want to get tried tomorrow, it, he made a big blunder and she made a huge blunder. Uh, by you know mixing uh, an intimate relationship uh, with business, uh, because uh, you expect the highest ethical behavior, and there's also implications that uh, they went on trips, uh, government paid, um, just a lot of inappropriate things that uh, really shouldn't happen in a prosecution. So uh, I think at the very least, uh, he should uh, resign from being special prosecutor. Well, let me ask you this, uh, District Attorney. Let's assume that there is nothing that has happened because of that relationship that affects the prosecution, which, as far as we know, is true, and that he's a particularly competent special prosecutor, which, as far as we know, is true, and that his appointment was really a uh, judicious decision-making by Fannie Wills, the District Attorney, which, as far as we know, is true. If nothing has affected the case uh, other than terrible judgment and misjudgment on both of their parts, why should he give the defense the gift of not remaining on his job? Here, here is the ethical. It's not only the impropriety, it's the appearance of impropriety. And so uh, I assume that he was appointed special prosecutor. Uh, and when a special prosecutor prosecutor gets appointed, that person becomes the district attorney for that case. <laughs> and she appointed him special prosecutor, for whatever reason it was, that, that that person, that Mr. Wade, became the district attorney for that case. And he shouldn't have had any um, influence or undue influence from her. In other words, he could have made his own decision not to indict, but he made his own decision. And now people question, well, was it really just, was she just using this as a, as a cover, as a, as a sham? Was he really a special prosecutor? And I think it's a legitimate argument to say, no, he wasn't. Because they were involved, assuming they were involved in some type of affair, whether it was before, during, whatever it may have been, he was no longer really a special prosecutor because she's got that relationship with him. Let me ask you this. A special prosecutor 
does that individual, does that lawyer uh, still report to the district attorney? Because of the points you've mentioned, district attorney, that most most influence my thinking on this is that the special prosecutor has to go back to the DA for major decisions, at least get input from the DA. And if that's not a completely professional relationship, then there is, I think, a clear appearance of a conflict of interest. Is, is that an accurate description about how this re- professional relationship is supposed to work? Let me give you a local example. So uh, District Attorney Kim Shigrew was a very, very prominent defense attorney in Berkshire County. He had dozens of cases for which he uh, was defending people. He becomes district attorney. Is elected the district attorney. Elected district attorney. He can no longer handle those cases as a district attorney because he, he, he had these folks as clients. So I would say at a minimum, we probably have had 20 of his cases that we've been able to help him out with with an appointment of special prosecutor. He has no say. Once he appointed that special prosecutor, he's absolutely no influence over that case at all. And in fact, I have no uh, influence over that case. I, you know, I won't even talk to that prosecutor about anything about the case. So that, that person has a very special uh, power and discretion, uh, and that is that they become the district attorney for that case. If it's a truly special independent prosecutor, that's the way the relationship should work. Fannie Willis made a major mistake, and how the court's going to hold her accountable for that mistake is we're going to see what unfolds. I think there will be a hearing on the 15th of, of February to address exactly this issue. She does point out in her filing they had no relation, no personal relationship at the time that she appointed him as special prosecutor. They okay. developed a professional relationship over time. It became personal over time. She acknowledges that in her filing. Um, she claims that she made no money and that whatever trips they're referring to were indeed professional trips that were done in the course of uh, continuing education, that sort of stuff, and that they, they didn't benefit... Uh, now, obviously, that's a question of fact which has to be resolved. And, and will the court decide this, David Sullivan, in your judgment? Can the court, can the court remove that special prosecutor, uh, even if the DA doesn't want to re- rescind the uh, appointment and the prosecu- special prosecutor does not, on his own volition, want to step down? Gee, I'm not sure what the power of the It's murky territory on that, on the legal side of things, but... Uh... That conflict, I'm not sure how that gets resolved in Georgia or how it would get, you know, in Massachusetts. Uh, but, you know, you, you've, in, in other words, once that personal relationship, you know, once it went beyond professional, it became personal, you've tainted the case because that person's no longer, quote, the independent special prosecutor, if that's, in fact, how the appointment really worked. I don't know why she named uh, him as special prosecutor. I just don't know the history behind that at all. Maybe you do, Buzz. Why did did she need to appoint a special prosecutor because they thought it would be too political? Because he was just such a seasoned trial lawyer and so widely respected that she she wanted him to do it because he had more experience. Um, He had never done a high-profile case. I will say 
uh, David Sullivan, that your predecessor, Tom Simons, once appointed me. My one prosecution as a special prosecutor, there was a fight between a young black man and a number of white people in Orange District Court, and uh, Tom Simons didn't know who to prosecute. He thought he should prosecute all of them, so he appointed special prosecutors for each one, and he sent me a letter that said, I will have nothing to do with this. You don't have to report to me. You use your independent judgment. So yep. exactly as you just described is the way my special prosecutor experience went, and um, I think that's the way it should go. Well, and if that's true, and she has nothing to do with it anymore, and his appointment was appropriate, then notwithstanding that it really looks terrible, uh, maybe there is not a basis on which to remove him. I guess that's what the court will decide, because ultimately— yep. The special prosecutor is an officer of the court, and there'll be a judgment on whether or not this appearance of a conflict makes him ineligible to remain as the prosecutor. So stay tuned. February 15th will be the hearing, and there is a filing by Fannie Willis in which she uh, argues why she disputes these claims. Well, she can dispute the claims. The question is whether or not he'll be removed as special prosecutor by the court. And it's been proven uh, to be a very legitimate, bona fide prosecution. I mean, people have pled guilty, um, you know, obviously represented by counsel. Um, so I think that it, so far it's been shown to be very bona fide that they have the evidence uh, to really go forward with these cases. And, uh, you know, and of course, the most recent, you know, Court of Appeals said that Donald Trump is not the king. He, he actually can get prosecuted along with the rest of us. You know, so uh, King Trump does not exist, at least uh, the Court of Appeals said so. There is there there is one other aspect of this, which I think we should note, which is that there is the court of law and then there is the court of public opinion. And the court of public opinion, I think, comes down on the side of this should never have happened. And even with these two consenting adults, prominent attorneys, skillful lawyers, uh, and involved in very important cases, you kind of wonder how could those two individuals have such bad judgment in their personal lives, and doesn't that potentially affect the judgment that they are making in their respective prosecutorial roles? We'll hear more about this next week. We really appreciate your time, David Sullivan. been a pleasure and an enlightening time that we have spent with you today. Thank you so very much. And Have a great we'll, week ahead. And we'll be right back. It's Cool Films with Larry Hot right after this. I believe in miracles. Where you from? You sexy thing, sexy thing, you. I believe in miracles. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 